This is Dr. Sutton, a professor of Catholic theology at St. John's University in New York City, giving you the Cat's Pajamas of Podcasts, where I speak about the best of Christian theology, culture, and love. Our first episode, my presentation during the retreat of the Fraternity of St. Maximilian Kolbe. The topic was being free to lead. Greetings, salutations. Hello, everybody. It's so good to see you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Sister, for the opportunity to speak. I spoke uh, last at Hearts Home about two years ago, uh, right about this season, uh, when uh, the Overmans and some others were, were joining the fraternity. And so I'm so glad to uh, be celebrating together uh, Julian's entrance into the fraternity. And so some of my comments will be exactly just to Julian. <laughs> So I'm looking at you, Julian. All right. Uh, and so the others uh, talking with you before this, uh, some of you are at this big transition in your life. Uh, God has called you to something new and different. And I think some of the words that I'm going to be speaking about will be, be speaking to you. But let's pray first so that these words aren't just human words, but something of God. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Lord, we are your church. We are your sons and daughters. We pray to live in this mission of being your sons and daughters, because you care for us as a father, guiding us as a father. We pray we live in this fatherly love, always, 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 and introduce this fatherly love to all we meet. Please guide us like Mary to lead in freedom and love. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. So I was going to talk to you about freedom and belonging. This was the topic that I was uh, talking with Sister Regina about, and we were talking about Mary. And, and so that's where I started off thinking uh, about this talk. Uh, and yet God possessed my heart to, to go to the next level, to not just talk about freedom and Mary, which is wonderful, but to think about what Mary does with her freedom. Think about what Mary does with her freedom. And what she does is she leads. She leads as a mother. We invoke her as the handmaid of the Lord, as the servant of the Lord, but we also invoke her as queen of heaven. That's a leadership role if there's any leadership role. So how does Mary lead? How does Mary lead? What does she do with her freedom? And many of you are at this moment in your life, Julian is, and others are, where you're now called to a new level of giving to the Lord. And you don't have to, because you're free. But you do because of the joy that you're going to receive and you're going to be able to give. So I'm going to explore this idea with you. So the word that I have uh, to share with you is from Mark chapter 3, 13 through 15. Mark chapter 3, 13 through 15. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve to be with him, to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. So he went up to a mountain. Let me see this again. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve to be with him, and to be sent out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. So that last sentence is the three-part structure of my talk. So he's calling them to do three things. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he's calling the twelve to accompany him. So this is when Jesus is, in some ways, untested. 
uh, he's started to gather around him. He started to preach. He's been baptized. He's been given this new life of the Holy Spirit that he wants to share with others. And now he's calling these first followers. And he gives them three things to do. First one is to be with him. So to be a disciple, to be a leader, to be the twelve, one, to be with him. And then the second thing, to be sent out to preach. So I'm going to speak about that, to be sent out to preach. And then the last thing, the third thing, that Jesus gives to them is to have authority to cast out demons. So we're going to explore these three, these three things as we think about uh, leadership. See, this is where I come to this topic of being and thinking about Mary as a leader. Because when I look at my generation and the younger generation, I am a college professor and so I teach this younger generation, I see a lot of people who do not want to lead. I see a lot of people who are happy to arrive at my campus and they want to follow. And I see a lot of people in my generation who are completely glad to consume and to follow. And whatever generation you're, you're in, and certainly as a human, this is always this temptation, is to follow. But you've been brought to this mountaintop experience, being at Hearts Home, even though we're in the basement. It is the mountain. It is the mountain. But you've been brought to this mountaintop experience to be called by Jesus to be a leader in your generation. Being a part of the fraternity is being set as a leader to live out of compassion for compassion. You've already accepted if you're a part of the fraternity or if you're a part of Heart's Home to, to be a leader in creating a culture of compassion. If you're joining again, like Julian is in this fraternity, he's recommitting himself to being a leader in creating a culture of compassion. You see, our generation wants to follow, but Jesus isn't calling you to follow. He's calling you to lead. He's calling you to lead. I have wonderful kids, all right? And they all want to be doing whatever I'm doing. And I wanted to go take out my biggest two for a bike ride. But then the other little ones want to come with me. They're not as sure on the bike, but we found a bike for them to use. And God bless Gemma. Good old Gemma. The two oldest that I have, I have five daughters, so the two oldest that I have are perfectly fine on the bike. Go and go and go and go. The third one, Edith, uh, she's also very fine on a bike. If she has training wheels, she can go and go and go. But Gemma is a little unsure, so we gave her a trike, okay? And we were going to go for a long ride around the park. And it just rained, and so the sidewalks were quite muddy, and this was in the fall, and so there was a lot of leaves all mixed in in that mud. But Gemma, you know her, if you don't her, she has a stubborn spirit, which is wonderful and beautiful. She will get it. And so she's going to join the big kids. And so she's on that trike, biking along, well, with her triking along, I guess, with her, with her big sisters and with Papa, I've got my mountain bike, and we're, we're all biking. She hits that first mud puddle, all the leaves covered over her, and it's long, and she hits it, and she's stuck, and she just sits there. I go biking past her, I, the others go biking past her, and we kind of go for a ways, and I look back, and she's just, she's just sitting there. Just sitting there. Like, okay, so I turn my bike around. Come on, Gemma, you can do this. It's not that deep. You can do this. And she yeah, kind of goes a little bit on the trike, doesn't get anywhere, and just sits there. <laughs> and so I give her a little push. Like, okay, she just needs some momentum. 
and she doesn't put her feet on the trike pedals. She just sits there. And so I push her again, like, try to pedal, try to pedal, come on, please, just try to pedal. And I give her another pu- push, and she just sits there. Oh. So guess what the rest of the afternoon was? Me walking my bike, <laughs> pushing this trike, pushing this trike, pushing this trike. And she was the one, this little girl, was just having a, having a ball. <laughs> Aren't we like this in our Christian lives? We're the kid on the trike. In so many areas of our life, we're the kid on the trike. We're God's sons and daughters, and He loves us and cares for us. But when we encounter problems, we're like, okay, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. God's going to push. That's wonderful. He does, and He's a Father, and He cares for us. But He's called us to lead in this generation, in this city. Yes, He'll push us if we need it, but He wants us to bike, trike even, wherever we're at in our lives. So that's what he's called us to do, is to move and move and move. Now, I'm up before you as a, a college professor, and I lead my classes, and it's wonderful and, and gracious, and I, and I love this call. But I didn't always think I'd be up here doing this kind of thing. I, I was called in a special moment, and over a course of many times in prayer, I was called. But Jesus said, I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me care for me and to care for others, especially to this young generation, to your students. And I want to answer that call and lead that call. So let me leave it at that. I'm very concerned about this generation. One thing I want you to think about is before you're going to go far on that trike leading other generations, (laughs) you have to have a solid foundation. So Jesus Christ is going to ask you to go and preach to the nations it means that Jesus requires everything. It means that Jesus requires everything. Uh, I'm not going to pick on Ted here, but if there's some ramifications of picking on Ted, it might, you know, you never know. So <laughs> last year, <laughs> it wasn't intentional. Double effect, right? So uh, last year, I needed to move. And you know that part in that conversation when you have a friend who's about to move and you know what's coming next? I hate to move. I hate to move. But I hate to help other people move. Even more. Are you like this? Am I the only one that hates to help other people move? Because you know what it is. They're asking, not just, can you have a party and stay with me? They're asking you to handle all these weird, awkward boxes, get your knuckles all busted up. Right? Usually it's a hot summer day, so you're going to be sweating profusely. And guess what they throw in? A couple slices of pizza, maybe some soda or beer. It's like, come and help me out. I'm going to make you feel really horrible that you're completely out of shape. And I'm going to give you some pizza so that you'll feel even worse. I hate to help other people move. But when I had to move, there's this guy. His name is Corey. And he heard I was going to move. And before I even asked, guess what he said? I'll be there when you're moving. I hate that guy. You know, there's this um, text that Jesus says, many are called, but but few are chosen. And it's such a difficult, difficult passage. Because don't we as Christians want to be chosen? We don't just want to be called to be a Christian, we want to be chosen in a special way to live a mission. That's going from being a follower, many are called, few are chosen, chosen to lead. 
And I, I've, in my own prayer, have always wanted to be, to be chosen. I don't just want to be called Jesus. I want to be chosen. And I've struggled with that text. Why so many are called and why so few are chosen? Why, why these, this number discrepancy? And it didn't make sense until I thought about moving. Because you know what Jesus does? He calls all of us to move. And yet only a few of us say, I'll be there. Like Corey did. My friend. And then Ted did. But when you have that friend who asks you to move, you're like, oh, don't make eye contact with them. But Jesus is looking at you, and you're like, don't make eye contact with Jesus. Don't make eye contact. He's going to choose me. But he is going to choose you if you say, I'll be there. I'll be there. And you know what it does? Is it costs. You know why we don't look Jesus in the eyes? is because we know it's going to cost us. Not just a little bit, but everything. 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 And I think it's important when we go off to lead, as Jesus is asking us to go off and lead, is that we count the cost. Count the cost of what it means to follow, to be chosen. So there's this text, Luke 14, uh, 25, 33. Now great multitudes accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hard saying from Jesus. But he goes further. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you designed to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to encounter another king in war will not sit down first, take counsel whether he is able to with 10,000 to meet him who comes at him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and asks terms of peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So to be chosen, it means counting the cost. Because Jesus is going to demand everything. Now this text, when it comes up in my classes, hurts a lot of students, challenges a lot of students. And we really get into it. What does it mean? I thought Jesus is full of love and wants all of us to love. And why is he wanting you to hate your father and mother, which they're happy to do, but brothers and sisters, which they're also kind of happy to do, wife and children, and even your own life, that's the one they hate. (laughs) They're glad to hate father and mother for, you know, Jesus. Maybe they're brothers and sisters for Jesus' sake. But their own life, for Jesus' sake? Excuse me. This is a challenging text, but we have to be very clear about the Christian life, especially being a Christian leader, which is what the fraternity is all about, but is also being a part of Heart's Home. On your mission, you are a leader, right? You're a leader. And so some of you have counted the cost, and some of you are being asked something new, and you have to count the cost. Now there's this text, uh, that, or this idea that comes up often in Scripture about what's due to the temple. And this is where we get this idea of tithing, the, the 10% to the temple, the temple tax. And so this is a part of, 
the great history of the Old Testament laws, and, and of course the Pharisees are very strict and literal about interpreting what that 10% is. Right? But the, there's this idea that if you're going to belong to this religion, you're going to give a tenth to the temple. And this is filtered into Christianity, gladly so, that we're supposed to give something to the church. Now, I think there's a lot of priests who would love to get 10%, probably just even 1% of all of the flock. So we don't, as Catholics, designate 10% to be the magic number. But we can get stuck on that number, whether it be 1% or 10%. And it's really cute when you get a lot of people talking about, well, is this 10% of my gross or 10% of my net? (laughs) Because that's a very different number for some of us and others of us. Right? Is that 10% of after taxes or is that 10% of just the gross? Right? What is it? And it's so cute because Jesus demands everything. Jesus demands, he doesn't 10% to us. Why do we think we need to 10% back to him? Right? Think about this. Before the incarnation, God the Father is not looking down at heaven and saying, you know what, maybe they'll just get 10% of Jesus. 10% of the Son becoming flesh. If you toast. No. The Son is given to us by the Father. And it's everything that God is. Everything that God is. And why do we think in our lives that we can only give a section, 10%, to Him? Now, at different moments in your own conversion, God has called you to give something up. And maybe in some areas it's been hard. And maybe in other areas it's been easy. I remember this moment when I was kind of a foolish Christian. I believed that God was calling for me to give up my music. Right? I had a lot of, let's say, uh, scandalous stuff. You know that explicit marker on it? I had a lot of those. And I believed that Jesus was calling me to give up my music, to start my music collection again, but with a different center. Because in my own conversion, I accepted a whole lot of ideas through music and loving music that was absolutely explicit and absolutely just taking my mind into a lot of depression. had everything that cure made that I could get my, a hold of. I'm not preaching against music or specifically any specific bands, but there was this moment when God was asking me, you know, this music collection that you have is taking you away from me because it's putting you in a darker and darker and darker place that I don't want you to be. And so give it up. And I love going back sometimes to that music and thinking how cute I was being all goth with it. But he called me to give it up. I know some of them were hard. Some of them were easy. Vanilla Ice, that was easy. New Kids on the Block, that was easy. But there were some that was hard. There were some that was hard. And I know there are some of you in this time that we have are being called to give something up. And I don't know what area that is in your life. But God is calling you to give something up. There's something in your life that you feel powerless about. I really believe sincerely that there's somebody here who's sitting in front of this large word, powerless, some aspect of their life. And you know what Jesus is going to do with you? You're going to give this powerless word to Jesus. And he's going to break that less off. And he's going to give you back that word power. He's going to give you back that word freedom. He's going to give you back joy in whatever aspect of your life. He's giving you back power. 
power from Him. So I want you to count the cost to accept that power back from Jesus because that means you're no longer powerless. That means you have a new freedom in that aspect of your life that you haven't yet given to Jesus and He's ready to give power back to you. When we talk about counting the cost, the ledger isn't always in the negative about what you're going to give up because what you get in return is so much higher. It's so much higher. So I want to explore with you the text, Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. But for joy. I love that idea that the sacrifice to buy this field is from joy. When you know what you're going to get in return, you don't care anymore. We don't talk about this all the time, especially during Lent. It's all the cross, the cross, the cross, God abandoning everything in order to show us love and we accepting that cross and abandoning everything. But we're, my friends, in Easter, receiving the great graces of our Lent. And it's not 40 days, it's 50 days because God is extra generous with whatever we give to Him. Extra generous. Over and above generous. Now in the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark, in the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark, it's a wonderful passage. And we're about to articulate that in the Eucharist. Okay? In that feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asks if there's any food. And there's a lad there, boy, who has, what is it, five loaves and two small fish. I mean, not even like good-sized fish, but like perch, you know? Mm-hmm. And you know what's amazing about Jesus? Is that he could do that miracle with one loaf and one fish. But why is the text very clear about five loaves and two fish? Why? That's all that boy had. That's all that boy had. And so in order to do this miracle of generosity, Jesus asked of this boy everything. Everything. And he got so much more in return. Twelve baskets full. So much more in return. But think of that boy. Maybe he just wants to say just a little bit for himself, maybe for his family. And I'm like this all the time in prayer. When Jesus asks me to give up something or to do something, I start bartering. But I'm here to tell you, God is an all-consuming fire. Our God is not a bartering God. He doesn't barter. He's a loving Father that asks for everything. And He gives so much more in return. But there's a bit of a challenge when we're asked to give five loaves and two fish, all that we have. There's that moment when, well, Jesus could do this with four. Jesus could do this with four loaves and one fish, everything. So I ask you, what, what aspect of your life are you trying to hold a little bit back for yourself, for comfort's sake? What aspect? You don't have to share. But what aspect are you wanting to hold a little bit for yourself? Jesus is asking for not four loaves, but five. Not one fish, but two. Everything you have. And this is what the third thing that Jesus is calling the disciples to do. One, to be with him. Two, to preach the word. 
So we need to count the cost before we go out and preach that word. But three, he's giving them authority to cast out demons. And we have to be clear in the spiritual life that there are demons, fallen angels, that have an effect in the world. And we can get very consumed about trying to identify when that is the case and when it's not the case. But I'm asking you as a Christian, and I need to think about this myself, that this text of casting out demons is all darkness, all darkness, all sin, all failure that is leading away from God is demonic. And Jesus is calling the leaders to cast that out, to be done away with that. And so for some of you, that's this negative self-talk that you've let yourself get into. I'm not worthy. I'm just really not worthy to do this. I'm not worthy to do this. This is not who I need to be. This is not that self-talk spiral, descending spiral of death and depression. That's a demon. And Jesus is calling these disciples to cast those demons out. I am a child of God. And I am loved by a father. I am loved by a father who wants me to be with him, who wants me to lead. And even though I'm weak, he's calling me to lead out of my weakness. And I receive joy from that. So the thing that the disciples are called to is to cast out those demons in their own life, but to cast out those demons in other people's lives. How recently have you met somebody who's caught in a cycle of, of depression and darkness? You're called to cast that demon out and say, I love you. You are loved. You are loved. You're called to bring light into that person's life. That's what it means to take authority, to have authority, to cast out demons. You know, our our Pope, Francis, is in the Holy Land. And in Jordan, there was this woman in a wheelchair who had to go five steps up in order to receive a blessing from the Pope. And so there are some burly men who are about to take up this wheelchair to take her up the stairs. And you know what Pope Francis did as this image of a leader? He got off his wonderful chair, which designated his authority, and he walked down those stairs and blessed that woman in her chair. And so Jesus is calling you to be a leader in this generation to lead like that, to get up off of your chair and all the trappings that come with that chair and to go descend down the stairs to help the person who might be in darkness who needs a little bit of light, a little bit of compassion. He was, uh, Pope Francis was driving along and un, uh, along the border, the Great Walls. You've seen this in the Holy Land, this terrible walls, graffiti walls, separating the, uh, Israel from Palestine. And he, because he's free in Christ, told the driver to stop, got out of the car, unplanned, definitely not politically savvy, at least from the outside, he goes up to the wall that separates the Palestinians and the Israelis, and he prayed at that wall. don't know what he prayed, but he had this wall bound. Most likely this is what he prayed. And so that's the freedom that you're given, the power you're given as a Christian leader, to follow him out of love, for love, in freedom, for freedom, to tear walls down in your life and in other people's lives. So I want to go back to the, la- the first thing that Jesus said to these disciples, what he called them to. Remember the three things? <clears throat> Professor, Tess, what's the first thing Jesus calls them? Be with him. 
So the first thing to be a disciple is to be with Jesus. Nobody else is going to tell you to go be with Jesus because you're a leader and you're the one in charge and you get to decide, I'm going to right now in this time be with Jesus because that's what it means to lead, is to decide for yourself, I need to be with Jesus. And that is showing you and me and God that I'm a leader. I choose to be with you, Jesus. And I think this is very important that we establish this foundation of prayer in whatever aspect of leadership that we're about to go into or we are in now. We need to have this foundation, this absolute foundation of being with Jesus in a secret place that only He knows. How long does it take you to enter into prayer and to see the eyes of Christ? How long does it take you to enter into prayer and see the eyes of Christ? It takes you a long time. That might mean that you're not spending enough time close to Jesus. It takes you a long time. Distractions, burdens. That might mean you need to spend more time with Jesus. But if it takes you that moment, that's beautiful and wonderful because he wants to be in that secret place, that hidden room, teaching you things that only you and he know about. Only you and he know about. Now when I was converting... Uh, or coming back to the faith, one of the uh, beautiful chapels that I love to visit in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, was uh, Assumption Church. And they had um, 24-7 Eucharistic adoration. And it wasn't far from the house that I was living at. And there were times when the burdens of school were just so much, and girlfriend, that were just so much that I could go to this chapel and the small little room where Jesus is present in the Eucharist. And I remember going in, and there would always be just one person there or two persons there, because I'd go late at night, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And it was so refreshing to just enter into this wall of Jesus. I'd open up that door, and there'd just be this wall of Jesus to enter in. There, he's there, he's there. Give everything to him. Nobody else needs to know. And that, I realize now, Jesus was building a foundation. There's this great dam. I, I got uh, caught in a Wikipedia surfing expedition. <laughs> Have you done that? Uh, so I started learning about the uh, Oroville Dam in, in California. It's this massive dam, 770 feet. Isn't this great knowledge? Right? That's available to us all over the place. 770 feet tall. A huge, massive dam. And the other great thing I learned about is that the foundation of that dam, 770 feet, that's what we see. But that 770 feet is imitated under the earth horizontally. So for that dam to work, there's this foundation that's even greater that nobody can see. And so Jesus calls the disciples to, number one, be with them. And what the other disciples are going to see is the good works and all the failures. They're never going to see that underlying foundation, which is maybe even more massive than what they're going to see in those public acts of preaching. But if you're called to be a leader, and you are, and you're that guy who says, I'll help you move. I'll help you move. Choose me, Jesus. That foundation that nobody's going to see. And Jesus is going to look at you and say, you are loved. You are loved. And I'm not going to judge you, but I'm going to give you grace and strength. I'm going to take that powerlessness, break it, and give you back power and freedom. Beat that too. We're about to enter into Mass and we're going to receive the body of Christ broken 
the blood of Christ poured out, he's going to give us power. And he's going to speak to us in those quiet moments. And he's going to speak to us. Be with me. Go and preach. And I give you authority to cast out demons, to cast out darkness. I'm going to say, yes, Jesus. What aspect of my life do you need now for me? I want to give you everything. And you're going to be asked something similar. You're going to give everything. Because we're surrounded by wonderful friends who are doing the same thing in brokenness, knowing our failures, but saying once again, yes, Jesus, give you everything. So let's prepare ourselves together to enter into Mass, ready to give everything to Jesus. And I want to assure you of one last thing. Worship does amazing things in the world that we can see in ourselves and we sometimes can't see throughout the world. But it changes the world. It changes nations. It changes the city. Your worship in the Eucharist changes the world. You're not a small part in His plan. You are a major aspect of His plan. And your being in Mass is changing the world by worshiping Him, calling to Him. You're changing yourself, and Jesus is changing you. But even more importantly, He's changing the world through you in this time of worship. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Jesus, you tell us we are your brother, we are your sister of the Father, we are sons, we are daughters. You've taught us a prayer out of your filial love for us. You've taught us a prayer. Call upon God as our Father. And so we beg you to pray with us right now to your Father, to our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to me, Dr. Matthew Sutton, on the Cat's Pajamas of Podcasts. Please subscribe and rate on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Dr. Sutton, all spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R-S-U-T-T-O-N. Or on Instagram at Samurai Moses. My website is drsutton.net, all spelled out, and ready for you to see. Cheers and make some beauty.